When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome back here to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you and joining me now to talk a little bit of Chicago Bears. He works as a reporter and anchor for WCLO 1230, Lauren Cox. What's up, Lauren? Hey, Matt, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, for sure, man. Now, tell me if you've heard these before. The Bears' defense will regress. Mitch Trubisky is bad. And they shouldn't have traded away Jordan Howard. Maybe that maybe that's not a hot take about trading away a running back. But tell me, Lauren, when you're uh, seeing the entire outside world from uh, the Chicago Bears talk about how the team is going to get worse, wh- what is the general sense? Do you agree with that, or are you sitting here thinking, you know what, guys, I actually think that they're going to be just as good as they were last year? Well, there's certainly that feeling among Bears fans that they, you know, they like to feel this sort of like victim and, you know, being attacked by the, the national media and certainly <laughs> the rest of the NFC North is, you know, everybody likes to feel like the underdogs and no one believes in them and that, you know, but, you know, I think there's, there's some wiggle room there. I mean, I think there's plenty of reason to think this Bears offense can continue to play at a high level and, and, potentially take steps forward as Mitchell Trubisky now gets more comfortable in this Bears offense and that, you know, as, you know, they still have a pretty solid cast of skill position talent around him. The offensive line is back in the full starting five. And the idea is that just as he gets more experienced, then the offense can move as far forward as he's going to take them. And then defensively, I don't know if it's reasonable to expect them to stay as the number one defense in the NFL, even though they kept, you know, nine out of their 11 starters and, it's, you know, Chuck Pagano comes in as a, a well-regarded defensive coordinator who's not going to change too much, but might just add his own flavor to things. So there's, there's some reason to think that, okay, things are going to maintain at some certain level, but there's a, a natural law of regression here that just says, statistically speaking, being that good defensively isn't likely to maintain. So it's a question of, okay, if the, how much better can the offense be and can the defense stay at a reasonably good enough level to sustain that success from last season? 
Well, and, and, and Trubisky has been a big source of debate because uh, when you look at his pro football focus grades, really underwhelming, but I think Minnesota Vikings fans who watched him last year would have been impressed with some of the things he did, especially his escapability and ability to turn a pass rush on third down uh, that chases him out of the pocket into 10 or 15 yards, and he really hurt the Vikings with that a few times last year, and I've started to think, Lauren, that if you have that in your game as a quarterback like a Dak Prescott and, and Trubisky that even if you're not the most accurate that you can still move the ball pretty successfully on a regular basis and then it seems also Lauren like Mitch Trubisky is paired with the perfect offensive mind that Matt Nagy gave him a lot of easy throws that got yards after the catch and things like that that even if he is not technically the best quarterback or, or isn't in the top 15 for his ability to just throw the ball, he's got a lot of other things going for him that could continue to make him successful. Yeah, and I think that's sort of where the differential comes in terms of like pro football focus grade versus you know, traditional fantasy football statistical production where, you know, the, the ability to run and, and scramble and, and, you know, create plays and extend plays, et cetera, is helpful in individual situations. But I think where, where pro football focuses grade comes a little bit more from is a, a snap to snap throw basis and, and valuing that as more important to quarterback success long term and more predictable for quarterback success long term. So, you know, the, the idea is that you can survive doing the things that Mitchell Trubisky has been very good at, but in order for him to really take this team to the next level and, and lead this offense at the degree that they want him to, he has to improve that accuracy. He has to be able to, you know, stay in the pocket, hit the routine for a little bit more, make some of those bigger plays downfield. Because there were a lot of games, as much as last season the Bears were successful in terms of wins and losses and Trubisky's production was, you know, more than satisfactory, there were a lot of games where the offense – failed to score, you know, more than 15 points. And there were so many, you know, defensive touchdowns and then so much help that the offense got from the defense that it masked some of the offense's inability to score at times last season. And, you know, they were good when they got into the red zone, but sometimes getting into the red zone was a struggle. So there, there was a lot of room for improvement offensively, and a lot of that came back to the young quarterback. We're talking with Lauren Cox. He works for WCLO Radio in southern Wisconsin, also a contributor to NBC Sports Chicago and the Bears Wire, which is with uh, USA Today, so all over the Chicago Bears. Well, and here's my question, Lauren, about, about some of those shortcomings with throwing the football. I mean, do we believe that he can throw it better with more work? Because I, I tend to think that quarterbacks can't. Like, you come into the league, and after your first year, once you get second year past that, you kind of are who you are when it comes to executing certain throws. Um, but with Trubisky, there were some that were so glaring for him that I feel like might be fixable. Like when he was looking to his left on crossing routes and, and would just overthrow a guy, that that would feel like to me something that you could work on with specific footwork and things like that. So is there any confidence that he will get better at just throwing the ball? I think there's some, and I think a lot of Bears fans perhaps are overconfident in terms of thinking he's going to take a, a massive leap. And I, I, I tend to agree with you that, you know, once you've seen a guy for a couple seasons in the NFL, it's rare that they really drastically change. And I think some of the improvement can come just in terms of better timing with his receivers. I mean, obviously 
getting everyone learning the, the offense for the first time last season. And then you had Allen Robinson was recovering from his ACL tear in Jacksonville and kind of missed most of the offseason program. And you have Anthony Miller coming in as a rookie. So this idea that, you know, now that he's had a full offseason working with the receivers and everyone knows exactly where they're supposed to be in the offense, that that could clean up some of the miscommunications there. But I, I do think from a mechanical standpoint, a lot of it is in his hips and his feet in terms of when he'll step into a throw and he'll turn too early and you'll see him not be able to drive some of those balls down. And that doesn't, to me, that's not something that changes just by learning the offense better or getting better mm-hmm. with your receivers. I, I think it's rare that you see quarterbacks really, you know, truly solve those types of mechanical issues. Maybe they get better at it to the point where you don't see it as often, but I think it's more or less a part of who Mitchell Trubisky is as a quarterback at this point, that there's going to be some of those throws that just, for whatever reason, you know, there's no pressure in the pocket, just mechanically either rushes it or just isn't thinking enough about what he's doing with his feet that it comes off inaccurate. The question becomes, how often are those throws going to take place, and can right. he make up for them with the bigger throws downfield? Right, and can, after a year of learning that he uh, doesn't really uh, make those throws, can they work around that, or can he go from horrendous to below average? Because if you go from horrendous to below average, it's still an upgrade from what he did uh, last year on those certain throws, um, especially the ones that were across his body. Uh, now, uh, when it comes to Jordan Howard and moving on from him, uh, Vikings fans held a parade a- actually after that here uh, in Minnesota, Lauren, because they were so thrilled that they wouldn't have to see Jordan Howard twice. They're still going to see him in Philly, but he just ate the Vikings alive for whatever reason. Um, what's the backfield look like now with Jordan Howard gone? It's amazing how the perception of Jordan Howard in Chicago changed so quickly as sort of the team directed it to that, you know, he was beloved for his what, three seasons, because he was sort of the underdog fifth-round pick who comes in and produces at such a high level. And then all of a sudden, as the Bears start to sour on him a little bit, so does the fan base. And now Bears fans are happy to see him gone. I mean, they really feel like this is a, a significant upgrade. With David Montgomery drafted in the third round from Iowa State, they brought in Mike Davis from the Seattle Seahawks, who's a good rotational running back piece. And then, of course, Tariq Cohen still in that backfield. The Bears feel like, Perhaps there's less pressure to, to rely on Jordan Howard as sort of that every down workhorse, and you can be a little bit more multiple and versatile with the guys that you have in the backfield. That you know, all three of them can be more reliable receivers, and Mike Davis is a pretty reliable pass walker as well. And this idea that you know David Montgomery coming in as one of Pro Football Focus's best in terms of making missed tackles in college, that there's going to be a little bit more explosiveness, a little bit more unpredictability from what the offense is going to do. I'm not certain that it's going to result in more efficient running. I mean, long term, I think I don't know that we're going to see like a massive increase in the Bears' ability to run the football, but perhaps it will improve them a little bit in terms of more things you can do with throwing the ball out of the backfield. But at the end of the day, I'm not expecting the, the running back room to be, you know, this drastic upgrade to the offense. It all comes back to Mitchell Trubisky. Well, I think at least for uh, Vikings fans, they were thrilled that they won't see the once-a-year 50-yard run or whatever it was from, uh, for, from Jordan <laughs> Howard. Now, maybe it will be from, uh, from Montgomery. Um, uh, Lauren, where does Cordero Patterson fit in all of this? I saw that Cordero had a very classic Cordero Patterson quote where he said his nickname was Damn because that's what the defense says every time he gets the ball, which is... He was a fun guy to cover, I have to tell you, Lauren. Uh, but but he's a, 
a, a such a unique weapon, and Mike Zimmer admitted last year that he didn't use him correctly when he was in Minnesota, that he could have found more uh, multiple ways to get him the football as opposed to hoping that he would become an all-around wide receiver or something like that. Now with a very creative offensive mind in Matt Nagy, uh, it seems like a perfect fit for Cordero Patterson. Yeah, it really does. But the thing is, it's like the Bears are not going to let anybody know what they're going to do with right. Cordell Patterson. Yeah. It's very, it's it's a very mysterious sort of one of these unknown. Going to see how Matt Nagy unveils him in the season. I mean, I don't think we're getting a lot of details at training camp. I don't think they're even getting too, you know, creative with him during open practices because they just want to keep that all a secret. But I, you know, I'm expecting. You know, kind of a second Tariq Cohen in that sense, but with a little bit less backfield and a little bit more receiver, although I think Cohen ended up playing almost more wide receiver last year than running back anyway. But, you know, another guy that you're going to see a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of different looks, a lot of handoffs moving horizontally before, you know, and just uh, so many different ways that defenses are going to have to account for these guys that, you know, Tariq Cohen was such a, a focal point of this offense last year and sort of the guy that defenses tried to key in on to take away. And this idea that maybe you can have something Similar, but bigger and maybe not quite as short area explosive, but as, as long speed, you know, fast. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can move these guys around. And I think that's one of the, one of the main reasons that Bears fans feel a lot of optimism about this offense growing is because that's a weapon that it's this pure unknown and, and the possibilities feel endless. What, what did you make of last year? Just how much pre-snap motion was used and, and a lot of the, the jet motions and things like that. It was, in my mind, one of the more creative offenses in the league because of that. And I was just watching a play that someone tweeted out where the, the guy goes in motion and runs back and forth three or four times at the goal line, forcing the defense to make an adjustment, make another adjustment, make another adjustment before even running the play. Um, do you think that defenses will figure that out this year, or is that kind of a fundamental thing that's just going to keep working? Well, it's it's a trend across the NFL. I was I actually was digging through this data a couple weeks ago for Pro Football Focus, and the the NFL has not seen more pre-snap motion since. I mean, 2018 was the most that we've seen in the PFF era back to like 2009, and it's also the most like wide receiver handoffs we've seen in any year since like 2009. So the the, the entire league is trending that direction of a lot more pre-stat motion, a lot of different ways to get the football in different players' hands. And the Bears are certainly um, near the forefront of that push. I don't know I don't know how much defenses will continue to adjust because I don't know that you know it's hard to measure exactly how much the motion itself affects defense because of a lot of defenses if you can just kind of stick to your rules, you don't have to move so much as you have to just kind of stand there mentally and okay if he's on this side of the field I have to go to this gap, and if he's on this side of the field and they snap the ball, I have to go to that gap. And I think, you know, maybe defenses will adjust a little bit more that way to not be as reliant on, you know, guys following in man-to-man coverage. Maybe you can get more zone by doing that, or at least different ways to disguise that. But I, I don't think it's something that, you know, is going to have this drastic effect in either direction. I don't think that it's necessarily the, the total difference maker for offenses, and it's not going to totally kill defenses. I think the Bears relied it in a bit more in the red zone where the space gets a little bit tighter, and I mm-hmm. think that might be where it could be most effective when you, when you get bigger bodies on the field. Like I think that play you were referencing, the Bears had like uh, like three tight ends in the field, and there's just one wide receiver running back and forth. So when you've got linebackers trying to figure this out instead of defensive backs that can't make up for the speed as much, that, that's where it could be deadly. So I would look for the NFL to trend a little bit more in that direction, but 
it's it's always that chess match back and forth. And I, I think you'll see defenses start to disguise a little bit more and, and not reveal as much with motion. But how much that ultimately affects the offense, it's, I think I don't know that we can measure it yet. Yeah, I asked uh, Anthony Barr about it, and he said that it's it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, that, that he could still figure out his job, but it just kind of forces you to readjust your eyes all the time for where you're supposed to be looking to read your keys. And if you can force just a little bit extra thought process, you know, Anthony Barr is a smart linebacker, so he can usually figure it out. But if you have one that isn't, then you could take advantage of that. And uh, you know, I, I, I could see why it has become more of a trend. Last thing for you, Lauren, on the defensive side, you talked about the potential regression and last year they uh, had an absurd number of turnovers that you would never count on again and we know this from the Vikings that 2017 they're the number one defense they drift back a little bit to number four in yards allowed last year and you know there's a little bit of a difference there a little bit of regression a few guys got hurt not everyone was healthy and that happens almost every single year with defenses but you still have Khalil Mack you still have Akeem Hicks you still have Eddie Jackson uh, I, I think, Lauren, there's no reason that they shouldn't be right up there in the top five again, except, you know, Vic Fangio is gone. And, and I tend to think that the defensive coordinator is something that I, I wish we could find a way to pinpoint the exact value of a great, consistent defensive coordinator, because we've seen it here with Mike Zimmer, the play caller on defense, consistently having these great defenses. And, and I wonder how much that will impact Chicago. Yeah, and Chuck Pagano, it's an interesting evaluation because his defenses in Indianapolis were not very good for a long time. And a lot of that perhaps can be pinned on personnel and maybe Ryan Grigson not being a, a good enough general manager to put enough talent on that defense. But at the same time, Chuck Pagano is just loved by all of his players. He's known as a great players coach that everyone gets along with. But And then Bears fans will point to like, well, Chuck Pagano coached the Baltimore Ravens defense in 2011 when they were uh, one of the better defenses in the NFL. But at the same time, he comes in there really for one year and kind of inherited a talented Baltimore Ravens defense. So how much can you put into just one strong season there? So Chuck Pagano definitely remains one of the bigger unknowns. I think there's reason to be optimistic. And because he has talent here, that you know, more talent certainly than he had in Indianapolis, that he, in theory, should be able to craft a pretty quality unit. But at the same time, there's there's some challenges. I think I think people don't realize some of the things that Vic Fangio was able to mask in the way that, you know, having known most of these players for, you know, two or three seasons, being able to know their strengths and weaknesses a lot more thoroughly than Chuck Pagano will coming in and putting guys in the best position to be successful and trying to minimize some of their weaknesses. And then you add in that you're trying to figure out how to do a, a slightly different safety duo with a couple of guys in Eddie Jackson and Haha Clinton Dix. Mm-hmm. that have similar skill sets and neither one really is natural in the box and you don't just you can't just play two deep safeties all the time. So that's a dynamic to work out. And I think they have a massive downgrade in the slots going from Bryce Callahan to Buster Screen. That to me, if I'm an offense looking at the Bears, I see a big weakness at that slot cornerback position that I'm circling on my whiteboard every week. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I think I think offenses are going to attack there and now the Bears are going to have to adjust a little bit to figure out how to counteract some of those areas because yeah, I mean, as much as this is a strong defense, there are still some holes you can poke here and there. And, you know, if the turnovers aren't where they were last year, like you said, I, I think there's, there's reason to, to drop them down a little bit, but I, you know, not, not too far given how much talent is still there. Who's the kicker? Uh, Do you have one? That, that's who the kicker is. <laughs> the kicker is, uh, well, they, they brought, wait, they brought in somebody named like shanked it or screwed up or something. Was it like Billy, um, Billy messed it up or something? 
uh, Chris Blewett. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, that's right. That's just yeah, te- that's, that's, that's no tempting fate. There. That's tempting fate by even bringing that guy in. <laughs> yeah, when they brought him in, Matt Nagy joked. He said it's pronounced. It's French. It's pronounced Blueway. Blueway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I mean, what what is the deal with the kicker? It's no one knows what the deal is with the kicker. As far as training camp has gone. It, it's gone about as well as you could hope with two guys without NFL experience hitting the majority of their kicks in practice and the Bears trying different ways to get creative and put pressure on them. They'll do what they call Augusta silence in reference to the Masters, <laughs> yeah. where the entire the entire practice field separates and everyone gets dead silent and just stares at the kickers while they attempt their field goals <laughs> and try and create some pressure. And they've been hitting them. But it sounds ridiculous, Lauren. It sounds ridiculous. It, it Why really would you does. do that? When is an NFL stadium ever deathly Augusta quiet? When? Never? Well, well that's the idea is that it's, it's a new situation for them and it's a different kind of pressure knowing that you know, every, no one is distracted <laughs> oh, by talking to each other. It's, they're, they're, you can tell it sounds desperate, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. it really does sound desperate. And that's, that's sort of where they are. And there's a decent expectation that perhaps the Bears week one kicker still isn't on the roster right now, that they're looking at uh, Justin Tucker's backup in Baltimore, and there's a few other kickers around the league that maybe when someone's released, they'll try and bring them in. But the two kickers that they have now, they're, they're hitting their kicks in practice, but, you know, August kicks in 80-degree perfect weather are not the same as wild card games against the Philadelphia Eagles in January with, you know, three seconds left on the clock and the game on the line, you just can't recreate those kicks. You can't recreate the weather environment of Soldier Field. So it's it's going to be a weakness of this team to some degree, but how much that ultimately affects their ability to win, I don't know I don't know that it's going to cost them a lot of wins and losses in the regular season, but you get to the end of a playoff game, uh-huh. you're not sure what you have kicker, and there's, there's a reason to feel like 2018 could repeat itself at some point in 2019. Okay, by early September, Matt Nagy will be giving out kazoos to every player to blow into the kazoos while the kick, right? He's just going to start going completely off the board eventually. Yeah, Vuvuzelas, and he <laughs> yeah. told like the media at one point. He's like, "I might get you guys involved." Like during a press conference, he's telling the media, "I might get you guys involved in messing with these kickers." I don't know. Oh, actually, I don't know if it makes me think he's a lunatic or like him more with, that uh, he's messing with the kickers like this. Um, Lauren Cox, always awesome stuff. A great follow on Twitter at Cox Sports One. He is a reporter and anchor for WCLO twelve thirty in Southern Wisconsin. Also writes for PFF, contributes to NBC Sports Chicago and the Bears Wire. And and you do Lockdown Bears podcast. Do you do you have a life, Lauren? I know I don't, but do you? <laughs> I, I certainly struggle with that. I appreciate <laughs> you taking the hour to go through the resume. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's better to have a lot of jobs than none, Lauren. So you do a great job covering the Chicago Bears for many different platforms, and I appreciate uh, you taking the time to come on. So Join me and Dan Terhar this Saturday for Scornor's coverage of Minnesota United and FC Dallas. Pre-game at 6.30 with kickoff at 7 o'clock right here on Scornorth on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Scornorth mobile app. All right, welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar and now joining the show is Judd Zolged. What's going on, Judd? Not too much. Long time no see, Matthew. You've been busy. I know it has felt like that, that we have not gotten together here on the show in a little bit. So tell me this, then, Zolgad, what is on your mind about the Minnesota Vikings? Well, first of all, I miss hot routes. 
Just to be very clear, I miss Hot Routes. Okay, I understand that. I really that, enjoy Hot Routes, so I just want to say, if Hot Routes is out there, hi, Hot Routes, I miss you. Things have gotten complicated here with the show during training <laughs> camp, like a okay? Relationship. Um, no, here's my, here's my question, and I believe we brought this up last week on Score North Live, which you weren't on at the time, but it's this. And this is a, this is a known fact going into training camp. But now that camp is unfolding and we're on the uh, the verge of the first preseason game on Friday night against the Saints, do you think it's good that there isn't much competition? Because you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing competition at, let's say, right guard. I wouldn't mind seeing. But I, if you look at this, we've talked about what? The third receiver spot. That's the competition. Maybe, although you refuse to talk about this personally, the backup quarterback spot. We did talk about it a little bit but, last hour. But would you like to see, and do you think it's to the detriment that we don't have a little more competition for actual starting jobs? Well, I, I guess that, what does it mean by detriment? I mean, what does it mean that it's bad? Well, because, Klein's not being pushed probably much. Right. I mean, th- there's two ways you could look at it. Is You could look at it in one way that if you're the team that is making headlines all the time, during training camp, then something has gone wrong for you, more likely than not, right? You're the Dallas Cowboys, and Ezekiel Elliott is you know, uh, running in the beaches of Cabo while you guys are at training camp. Um, that's probably not the headline you want to make. Or if you're A.J. Green and you get hurt and you're the Cincinnati Bengals and your left tackle that you drafted in the first round is out and your number one wide receiver is out, best of luck to you Cincinnati Bengals so so they've had a lot of headlines and it hasn't been dull for them but if you're a fan of the Bengals it's all terrible so from that perspective there haven't been any key injuries um and there haven't been any holdouts there hasn't been a whole lot of drama whatsoever really to talk about and that's probably a good thing now where you could look at it as a bad thing there's nobody who has really emerged where you could say okay this guy's become the story of camp so far now we haven't gotten to preseason games there's a long way to go and a lot of receivers had very nice nights the other night at the night practice but if you were thinking Okay, this is the year of Mata Afa. This is the year of Jalen Holmes. This is the Jaleel Johnson season. Or, or wide receivers, too. I mean, Brandon Zilstra just got back from injury and made a couple nice plays. But if you were sitting here thinking, this will be the, the B.C. Johnson year that we never forget, or Drew Samia emerged as an elite right guard. I think I've got just, your point, by the right, way. Okay, no, no, no. I'm going to go through every Are you single go through player. every single pack? But, but but in all honesty, I mean that 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 was kind of what you go into training camp looking for when you have a team without a whole lot of battles. Is all right, which one of these guys that nobody really knows yet or later round draft picks going to emerge? That's why we invented Mister Mankato. And so far, the answer is nobody really has. People have basically been exactly who you thought they would be. Is Dalvin Cook in bubble wrap? And um, by the way, probably if, if he is, I'm not complaining. I think it might be the smart move. Yeah, I think him and Kyle Rudolph both sat out the other night just because they're in bubble wrap, just because you can't lose either one of them. And I I think that what I've really um, come to the conclusion on, not, not to deviate from Delvin Cook, but is it was imperative that they re-sign Kyle Rudolph. In an offense that wants to use tight ends a lot, they absolutely had to re-sign Kyle Rudolph. Where is Irv Smith Jr. at then? I think Irv Smith Jr. is at, right now, if I were to estimate how they were going to use him, 25 to 30% snaps, 40% snaps. He is like a 30 type of catch guy. He's being used every once in a while in those 
packages with two tight ends where they run play actions and hope to get him open down the field. Maybe they run some screens with him to get the ball every once in a while. I I wouldn't say that it's been a disaster or anything. I would say that everyone you talk to about Irv Smith and the tight end position will tell you this is a tough job, and there's a reason why very few players have come in as rookies and been difference makers as tight ends, and Irv Smith has been evidence of that. And Mike Zimmer alluded to this, that basically when it gets to game day, what Zimmer said is they're just going to pare it down to what they're sure he knows and what what they're sure he can do. So my guess is there's not going to be a ton of blocking being asked from Irv Smith. And, excuse me, that he's probably going to be asked to run only a handful of routes and do a handful of things that he understands. Uh, Kirk Cousins talked about needing him to be a little bit faster, recognizing the, the calls at the line. I saw and things the explanation, like that. yeah. Yeah, I mean... These are the things that are really tough for a rookie tight end. So if anybody expected Irv Smith to be able to take the spot from Kyle Rudolph, you might not think Kyle Rudolph is Tony Gonzalez, but he is a really smart player who's been around for a long time and can be a big contributor to the offense. So they would have been left out in the ocean with hoping Tyler Conklin and hoping Irv Smith and hoping David Morgan come back. It was important that they did not move him. Okay, so what you just told me, makes me think of of something internally that's going on with coaching staff i'm going to run it by you and see if you agree with that because we all know mike is not mr patient you know zim likes you to learn the system and quickly and that's just how he he coaches how much influence do you think kubiak is having on being like oh mike irv smith can only do this because that sounds to me like the smart approach and i like the fact that if you say this guy has to play a key role you're acutely aware of the fact that that key role is going to be modified to what, at this point in time, not year two, not year three, but year one, what he can do well. I get the sense, or it just feels like, Gary Kubiak has made everything calm around the offense. And at times, I mean, the the comment by Zimmer about the defense needing to step up the intensity is almost a compliment to Gary. Like, ah, you're getting us, Gary, and we better step up our defensive intensity or Gary's going to keep running us out of the building. Um, But but I, I look at it as when it's who can get through to Zimmer. Kevin Stefanski has known Zimmer for a while. He's been around for a while, but there's a different effect of someone who has won a Super Bowl, somebody who's been around for a really long time, has a long track record of success, and there was a different kind of respect from Zimmer when it came to like Pat Shermer. That they had a very similar relationship to the way that it's working now is when you ask Zimmer about offensive stuff, he's going to give you answers, but it's kind of like he just wants to defer to Pat Shermer, and then he wants to defer now to Gary Kubiak and what he wants to do. So he's telling us kind of the way that they're viewing it. Now, maybe in the past, Zimmer would have um, been a little more anxious about Irv Smith not coming along quite as fast. And I, and I would also say this about Irv, is that the first thing everyone starts with is that he is making the effort to get it and sure. improve the areas where he needs to improve. And, and that's... That's like A1 most important is that um, he, he wants to get better where they need him to get better. Um, so they're not just like shredding Irv Smith or anything. They just all seem to know the reality of the situation. But I get the idea that Zimmer, if there was some sort of disagreement with a play call or with a concept or whatever, would go to Gary Kubiak and get the explanation from Gary Kubiak and kind of refer to him. And, and that's what his role is. I mean, that's why he was brought here, I think. No one will tell us, and it's become a great fun, I think you fun mystery, but I think we figured I it think out. I think you know. 
But I also like the fact, too, if I, I found before, especially in this sport, but if a team is panicked, that's when they'll lie and say, no, Irv Smith's doing great. You guys don't. Yes. You don't know what you're watching. Yep. I like the fact that you're actually getting what seems to be an honest assessment because that means that they're not panicking and that they know that he can do things well, but not a ton yet. But a year ago, I think Zimmer and, and Flip would have basically told you, or Irv Smith is doing absolutely fine. Everything that we ask, and you'd be like, okay, but how much is that? The fact they're peeling it back is a good thing because that means, in my opinion, that they're not panicking and, and instead just being realistic almost outwardly as well about what he can and can't do at this point and and i think that he is kind of the calming force there hasn't been a whole lot of tension at camp so far now last year we felt it really going back to the otas and minicamp with john d filippo and then throughout camp the frustration just seemed to mount especially with the number of injuries and the fact that on a daily basis the offense was not performing up to the level it was supposed to perform and on the whole we have seen the offense um, be much more successful this year in training camp than it was um, last year. And I don't even think it's close. I mean, last year I thought it was just a constant struggle from start to finish. And actually, I was a little bit surprised with how well they started out on offense for the first couple of weeks where they had the Rams game where they put up the big numbers and the Packers game where they came back. And, um, you know, the San Francisco offense w- was not too terrible to start off the season. But I also... W- I was surprised they lost the game to Buffalo, but I wasn't surprised that there was that moment where the offense just seemed to not be able to function because of the way it had looked in camp, that all the problems that were in camp showed up in that week, basically. And this year, I haven't felt that way. In the night practice, Kirk Cousins was airing it out. He was throwing it when Thielen and Diggs were covered and letting them go up and make plays. Now, whether he does that in real games, I don't know. (laughs) But he was doing that, at least in practice, and it seemed like they've made a concerted effort to try and be aggressive and use his arm strength and use his accuracy. And everyone just seems more comfortable with it. What we're not hearing is... Yeah, you know, it's a big adjustment. Because that was what we were hearing last year. Oh, big adjustment, big adjustment. And this year, it seems like, okay, so what are you thinking about the offense? And people get a little more enthusiastic and specific about it when you ask. They're not disgusted and rolling their eyes continually and saying, ah, yeah, you know, if if so-and-so just ran the right route. I do think, though, that one thing, among the things that we picked up on from this franchise since Zimmer took over in 2014, caller is this i think when they when they don't have the expectations externally and i also think i'm hard-pressed to remember a time when mike has seemed uptight that things go well like mike being uptight ordinarily spells doom and gloom and so the more that he can and that's why i think the moves that they made in going to kubiak and going to a kicking consultant slash coach are really smart because somebody, I believe, finally said, how can we take as many things off Mike's plate as possible where Mike doesn't enjoy them, right? Like the offense. He didn't enjoy that. He didn't like going up there to the podium and spewing how they didn't run the football. He can't stand kickers. So I think as we go down the path of, okay, you're a good coach. On Saturdays, you give the speech, and the rest of the time, you coach this defense, and you do a hell of a job of that. But besides that, Let's try and take as much off your plate as possible, which goes back to which goes back to the start with Norv. He trusted Norv at first. I think it, I think it was after Norv's first year when he went and talked to Hugh Jackson and found out, which sounds weird now, but oh boy, this offense isn't probably operating at the efficiency, and Teddy's not being given what he should be. 
But then it went to Shermer, and you saw him completely relax. And if Mike trusts it, he's going to allow it to go, I think. And if you have the offensive mind that maximizes the talents of the players, like I think that was our biggest criticism last year of John Filippo was, I mean, why are you not throwing more screen passes to Delvin Cook? Why are you not finding ways to get Delvin Cook in space, even though you spent all offseason saying that you were going to do that? And you're throwing a lot of screen passes to Del- or to uh, Stephon Diggs, which, you know, he can run with the ball after catch, but this guy is one of the elite route runners in the NFL, so maybe that isn't exactly the best way to use some of these guys, and definitely not the best way to use the offensive line last year. They were not good, but scheme has a huge impact on your performance. Absolutely. So not using the zone scheme because it was going to be the DeFilippo offense and nobody else's offense, right? Even though a lot of it was straight from the Eagles playbook, but this offensive line couldn't handle the Eagles playbook because they have Jason Peters and Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey and one of the best offensive lines in the league the year that they won the Super Bowl. So you couldn't ask these guys to do it. You can't ask that of Riley Reef and Tom Compton and a rookie right tackle. So this year, I think that that's where they could be much more efficient. I have um, not come around to the idea that Kirk Cousins will be anything different other than Kirk Cousins. But that doesn't mean you can't be better situationally. That doesn't mean that you can't be better with, how about they were one of the worst teams last year on third and short. That is inexcusable. I mean, that's the play caller, right? I mean, that, how, that goes back to Norv. Right. How many times? Same problem there. And, and Shermer, I believe, was number one in the league yeah. in third and short. Yeah, because you can get it. And how many times did they run a little play action or something and throw a five yard pass to David Morgan? That's not going to show up in the stats. That's not going to boost your PFF grade through the roof. That's just a play caller dialing up something that made a lot of sense. And I think with Kubiak, and we saw it a little bit with Stefanski in the final three games that he called, kind of working with what he could, Mm -hmm. that we saw a little bit smarter usage, we saw a little bit smarter situational stuff, and even the emphasis on throwing to Kyle Rudolph in the red zone. He had, I believe it was 14 red zone catches in 2017 and only six last year. Yes. you got to throw that man the ball in the red zone. I mean, it's the simplest thing you can do. Explain this, and I don't mean to pick on Kirk here. But I am going to ask you a question about quotes that I saw last week from the quarterback. It's as if somebody finally sat him down and said, Kirk, you can throw the ball to Kyle. Because if it's going to be picked off, he's big enough to break up the play. Like, I've always said that. He's not the greatest, but he's but put in the right scheme and situations, Rudolph is very effective. Who do you think got to him, and why on earth does it take a quarterback? In, in this game now, which is a tight ends game a lot of times, right? Why do you think it took so long for him to accept the, the fact that, okay, if I'm going to make a risky pass, Rudolph is probably my best option because, worst case, he'll jump the defender and probably break up that pass. Well, I will say this, that I'm going to believe it when I see it in terms of him throwing contested balls. So okay, so so we'll but just wait, go down that path. Ju- just just him saying it That's does fine. not convince me that he's actually going to do it. But I why mean, did we? Why did it take this long to get to the point of even talking about that? That should have been option one from day one. Yeah, he can break. He can break it up. Yeah, if he has to. Well, and this is a thing with cousins where, I, you know, I think I wish sometimes because the guy knows the game so well that he would just tell people what he's going to do right and and i'm not saying that he really realized how easy it was to just throw it up to kyle rudolph and you get a touchdown all the time i'm saying that 
some of the best Kirk Cousins we saw from last year was kind of operating on the fly when they would run up to the line of scrimmage and he would have to call a play or call an adjustment. And I wonder about last year if there was a lot of pressure on him, not just from John Filippo, but also Mike Zimmer. That uh, Pro Football Focus, when I was down there at their offices, Eric Eager mentioned something to me about how Kirk Cousins' big-time throws after like week five started to go down or week six started to go down. I think it was the week maybe that he had a couple turnovers against Arizona that Zimmer called him out as much as he did last year and said, I talked to Kirk and, and he, I told him that people's careers are on the line here and you can't have these turnovers. And then he got a little bit more... I guess conservative or tried even even more than he already does to only throw to open people. So I think it was kind of a cumulative effort there between Kirk usually doesn't throw contested balls. His offensive coordinator clearly had um, wanted the power and a, and a head coaching job and wanted to be super creative and all this stuff. And his head coach wanted to hand the ball off and never turn the ball over. And it just, you know, there was a lot working sure. not in conjunction. And if there's one thing that's going to be better uh, this year, I think it will be that at least Kubiak, Stefanski, and Cousins could be on the same page. All right, let me uh, take a quick break here. Judd Zolgad in. 3.52 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. One place you can connect with us is tomorrow night over at Modest Brewing Company. You can join Phil Mackey, Derek Wetmore, Rami Makhlov, Judd Zolgad, and former Minnesota Twin Glenn Perkins for a special recording of the Score North Twin Show, Glenn Perkins on Baseball. That's tomorrow night, beginning at 5 p.m. for Modest Brewing Company over in Minneapolis. All attendees will receive one complimentary beer courtesy of Modest Brewing Company with prize giveaways throughout the night. This event is free, but you must register to attend. Register right now over at scorenorth.com slash Glenn. That's been the Score North Download. Now back to Mackie and Judd, or now back to Purple Daily. Excuse me. All right, back here on Purple Daily, one more segment with Judd Zolgad. If you missed any of the show, go to iTunes or wherever you ever get your podcasts and just type in Purple Daily and right into your face, two hours of football talk per day. And That's so football. I don't know. Uh, we've got a really cool guest coming up on Thursday. I don't know when I want to announce this, Judd. It's uh, going to be, let's just say somebody that you'd never expect will be this good at talking football. It's your show, so okay. this has well, to be a you decision, Matthew. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease it now, okay. and maybe tomorrow I will officially announce our very uh, unique and maybe surprising to some guest on Thursday that is going to do the first hour of the show. All right. All right, so you were just telling me what has been on your mind lately um, because you and I haven't gotten together on the show in a, uh, just a few days. So what else you got, Judd? A question after watching several practices, including the much vaunted night practice on Saturday, Matthew Collar, the offensive line. How, in your football eye, your keen football-watching eye, going to the zone scheme, obviously Elfline kicking out to guard now, rookie center, how has the offensive line looked? Um, okay, so here's a little bit of the issue. Is Daniil Hunter plays for this football team? And Daniil Hunter will make everyone look terrible. Gumby, you mean. Yeah, I know. I don't like that. Right? That, that they're that they're calling him Gumby because he can bend. Because he can bend. Yeah, I get it. Just, he can bend. It's a little weird. It's Zimmer. It's Zimmer brought it up. Okay. Uh, it's that's a strange nickname. I I liked better. They had him the uh, create a player was better. Ooh, I thought because like ninety nine everything because he's so fast and jacked. I thought that was more clever that's... than Gumby. When I think of Gumby, I think of like a like a doughy kind of like unathletic. Oh, I think about bend, but he can really bend. He can he's bend. He's got the waist bend. He can bend I agree. the waist. I mean that's tough. 
That stance, by the way, it's really tough. Um, it is, I've yeah. tried to do it. I got no hold. I was going to say, maybe that's up. a Zolgad athlete challenge. It's just you trying to bend I just sort of fall. <laughs> I fall down. Um, so, look, I, I don't know what to tell you about Brian O'Neill or Riley Reef. They're getting beat by two of the best players in the NFL pretty consistently, and Kirk Cousins has been sacked, in air quotes, sacked, probably more times than he would like. And it happened the other day, and he was really upset about it. Like, he th- took off his helmet hard, and he had his arms crossed, and he was... Was it convincing? Um, Sometimes when Kirk gets mad at No. I find myself no, sort of it wasn't. Cackling. It wasn't, because he wasn't, like, barking at people, like, calling people out or anything. He was just sort of pouting, and he kind of went away from everybody and had his arms crossed and that kind of thing. It's just... It it doesn't have that extra little like it's not the Tom Brady Brady F, right F bomb start to fly. It's you know who it's kind of like. That's it's, what I want. It's kind of like Rogers, honestly. Oh, so yeah, it's kind of like I am personally offended. The rich that kid someone did something wrong. Yeah, the rich I mean, kid. My mommy and daddy didn't let me get sacked <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. not it's not like a barking at people ripping I want people's to bark heads him, off. Yeah, if you're gonna I, bark, bark. I I don't think that's ever really gonna be him. Um, the interior of the offensive line, though, now here's what's hard about it, because I think they've been really, really good. They have not faced Linval Joseph in practice because he has been recovering from off-season surgery, and it looks like he's going to be totally fine to start the season and everything, but it isn't one of those rep after rep after rep against one of the best in the league. It's Josh Klein mauling Hercules Mata'afa, who I'm not sure makes the team. And Jalen Holmes was in there for a few days, and then he got hurt, so he was out. And Jaleel Johnson is probably on this team, but I'm not sure he's going to play very often unless we see um, an injury to Linval Joseph. And Armin Watts is a sixth-round pick. So these guys should look good. I mean, Garrett Bradbury looks, I would say, small when you look at him compared to some of the defensive ends and other offensive linemen that I've covered in the past, but he is quick, and he can definitely get around to the other side of a defensive lineman. When you're going left or right, he can... Here you go, Judd. He can get his hips turned. Oh, yeah. You can get your hips turned. I mean, football. Oh, yeah. Uh, So, I I mean, I, I think with Bradbury that that's been something that stood out to me is just his quickness when you see it up close, and Josh Klein has looked like a solid NFL offensive lineman so far. That's not Akeem Hicks over there. That's not... Our favorite guy, Snacks Harrison. That's not Mike Daniels. That's not, you know, it's not Kenny Clark. Right. Then we're really going to see what this looks like is when you start facing some of the NFC North opponents, and they will right away. Well, right away you get Grady Jarrett, and then you go to Green Bay and you get Kenny Clark. But the scheme is to run and not have to maul, right? Yes, yes, that's correct. Because they'd be dead if they had to maul. Well, they would—they would be way too small. I yeah, mean, it just—it just, it just yeah, wouldn't fit wouldn't the scheme, work. right? Exactly. It, if they were going to run gap stuff where you had guys pulling and everything else, they would just get exploded off the spot yep. because they're too small. But even in this scheme last year, Josh Klein did not look very good. So that's where I would be concerned. I expect him to destroy Hercules Mata'afa because the guy is the size of a 1990s linebacker. He is not the size of a starting defensive tackle. And here's another thing to say about Mata'afa is Tom Johnson was about this size, too. Tom Johnson was undersized. And that guy was a really good player on this defense for like five years. And yes, he is my guy. because he's your friend. No, but objectively speaking. Oh, objective. Yes, by the numbers, by the production, 
This guy was the starting three technique for seventy yeah, percent of snaps on the number one defense. Tom Johnson. He's your first so. football love, though. So anyway, when else you compare to Tom Johnson? <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna fall short. I think my first football love would be like Barry Sanders, Judd. I think not that would Thurman. Be, uh, okay, well, yeah, anybody on the Bills, but uh, but a player that with the '90s Bills who went to the Super Bowls. I mean, look at those teams. Look, you got Kent Hall starting in the no, middle. No. You got Andre and Jim and Thurman. Marv Bruce had a hell Smith. of a team. I know. By the way, real quick, Marv, one of the greatest guys ever. He was, when I was a producer, and he would have to call in to go on the yes. show and stuff, yes. he would be late for his segment because he'd be asking me stuff. Like uh, someone who doesn't even know, he'd be like, oh, how's it going there and everything else? Yes. Super guy. Um, so anyway, I think the offensive line as of right now, Looks like it's going to get a lot of help from the scheme, but the tackles, I'm just not confident in Riley Reef or in Brian O'Neill right now. I think you're going to have to see a lot more from Brian O'Neill to trust him on a week-to-week basis. I think he's got the potential to be very good there, yep. um, but Reef, he's going to be Riley Reef, and he's not going to be anything better than he, he was last year. Down? Physically, I mean, he's um, been around for a while now, and he's certainly played through injuries. There's that potential. Uh, I think at times he looked like he did last year. He was still good in the run block, but he was not very good pass blocking. And, you know, when you, you fix the offensive line, finger quote, fix the offensive line, but the most important position is probably, you know, your weakest link or one of your weakest links. That's where I would be the most concerned is the edge rushers that you're going to face, how they're going to be able to perform. So um, real quick, just wanted to, before we wrap up, um, just – Don Banks passing away, Judd, um, the longtime Sports Illustrated writer. I worked with writer, him at the Star Tribune. Star Tribune. Very sad. Pioneer Press, um, a great, great reporter. And I didn't know him, but from all accounts, treated people really well. And yes. you and I both know this, that not every national football reporter um, is egoless in the way that Don Banks was. Yep. So very sad. That kind of hit me hard. I've let, read him for a long, long time. 56 years old, too. Way too young. Man, that's a, a really unfortunate. So condolences to his family and the people who know him around here mm-hmm. from working at the newspaper. All right. Um, that is the show today. Tomorrow we'll have Courtney Cronin for the entire show. And we've got preseason football Hold on a second. week. Do I get to come in hour two for Hot Routes? Uh, no. What are you doing? I'm going to go. No, look, here's the thing. There's just too much. There's just too much going on. There is too much going on. I hot routes will return. It will be back. There will be abbreviated hot routes. And then during the season, once things calm down after the holidays, I guess. (laughs) What's the holiday? The preseason game. The first preseason. By the way, (laughs) first time ever event line. Friday night. Yes. Right after the yes. game. We always started event line after Pre-season week one. Event line. So, so for the listeners out there, you Vikings fans, 651-646-8255. The second that Teddy throws yeah. the game winning touchdown in OT, oh. we'll be on the air so we can talk about it. I've seen some Teddy highlights from the Saints. Looking pretty good. All right. Uh, well- Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar. Or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. 
Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.